What's up, Element Church? Okay, you're, you can't see this, but four guys just lifted up their shirts with writing on there. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're off to a great start. <laughs> like Andy said, my name is Ryan Doz. I've been the resident here for a little over a year now, and uh, I am loving it here. I, I, I love this place. I want to Though I, I realize that a lot of you really don't know me that well. So this morning, as we get started, I want to share some things about me that I'm really passionate about, that I really love. So uh, if you will uh, indulge me, I am not from the state of Wyoming. Instead, I was born and raised in the greatest state in America, the, U- <laughs> the state of Iowa. I, am, I'm, I was born and raised in the state of Iowa. I love everything about it, from sweet corn to the state fair. My favorite thing about the state of Iowa is the University of Iowa. I am a born and raised, uh, I bleed black and gold Hawkeye. As I was growing up in Iowa, I became a really big fan of this particular NFL football team, the uh, Green Bay Packers. <laughs> That was a lot more cheers than I thought I'd get. I especially loved the guy in the front. Brett Favre, <laughs> Brett Favre was my idol growing up. I adored him. In fact, I remember the first time he retired. First time he retired. <laughs> first time he retired, I remember coming home that day and my mom met me in the kitchen with a plate of sugar cookies. You're ahead of me. So. What I'm thinking is, she's being really nice to me. Oh crap, someone died. Until I look, a, I look a little closer at the cookies and I notice they have green and yellow footballs on them. So she then says in the most somber voice, she says, Ryan, ESPN's already on, just go watch. So I take that solemn walk to the living room and I walk in there and I see my, my hero sobbing, announcing he's retiring. So I join in the sobbing, <laughs> topped off an entire plate of sugar cookies. And that's how I celebrated a Brett Favre retiring. <laughs> to some of you that do know me, this next thing will not shock you. I love collecting comic books and action figures. Uh, it's always been one thing I've really loved. It's actually become my reputation here on staff so much that if a new Avengers movie or an X-Men movie or uh, Batman vs. Superman movie comes out, Pastor Jeff will ask me, have I seen it yet and what did I think about it? Because my opinion on those matters carries a lot of weight here. In fact, last week it got so bad that Pastor Andy's son was trying to explain a superhero to him. He's trying to, like, who is this superhero, Dad? And Andy's response literally was, I don't know, just ask Ryan. Because I, I am, I am, I'm, a, I'm, an, uh, I'm an expert source at those things. I also... Uh, if you're curious, I'm not a big Batman fan. I don't like Superman, Iron Man, Captain America are okay. My favorite is Aquaman. I love him. Yes, the guy that talks to fish. I love him. He is awesome. I also, I love my family. My family uh, is very important to me. From left to right, there's my brother Dylan, my sister Abby, my mom, my dad, my brother Dan, my sister Abby, my sister Anna, and there's not two people in my family named Abby. Um, and then on the far right, the crown jewel of the Doe's family, myself. They are a misfit band of weirdos, but I, I love them so much. 
As Andy alluded to, uh, I have a child on the way. I love my baby girl. Uh, she's not here yet. Can't you tell I'm proud? Uh, she's not here yet. I can't hold her yet, but I, I cannot wait to meet her. I can't uh, wait to just, you know, uh, enjoy spending all that quality father time with her. And speaking of babies, uh, my wife is also a, uh, I, I love her so much. It's great that God has a sense of humor because she is incredibly out of my league and she, <laughs> she always has been, she always will. Those are some normal things that I like, but one thing I, I really, really love, it's kind of weird, I might lose some of you on this one, I love professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Before I lose the rest of you, let me explain. I know it's not real. Like, I'm not that stupid. Um, but let me explain to you why I love professional wrestling. As a teenager, I fell in love with the testosterone-fueled male soap opera known as professional wrestling. I love the high-flying flips. I love the chants. I love the crowds. But the thing that I love the most about it, above anything else, is this sense that you really don't know what's coming next. Like, you could tell someone what's going to happen in a wrestling show and then be wrong five seconds later. And nothing in wrestling personifies this better than an event called the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble is a match where two men start in the ring, and then every minute, another man joins the match. You get eliminated from this by throwing people over the top rope, and the goal is to be the last one standing. Now, why is this so uh, important to me? I love, answering the, I love asking the question, who's next? Because you never know who's coming next in this match. It could be a guy you really want to cheer. It could be a guy you really just want to boo out of the building. But either way, you really, you're asking that question, who's next? Who's next? Who's next? And I think that in the church, it's kind of like that. Because even though we constantly ask the question of who's next, who's next, who's next, the answer is actually pretty simple. Who's next in the church? It's that senior that just graduated. It's that junior hire that no matter what, they will not get off your last nerve. It's that elementary school kid that asks the most off-the-wall questions that you've never had the answers to and probably never will. Everybody from the, the babies crying, crying in e-kids to the seniors in this room, they're all next. And today, I want to share my heart with you about the next generation. I want to share with you what God says about them, what God wants for them. But I realize that some of you in this room don't believe in Jesus. What I'm going to say is, is not something you already believe. And I want to say one thing just right off the top. I am so beyond excited that you are here. There's no other place I would rather you be uh, this morning. And I think that if you lean in a little bit, and even if you don't believe in Jesus, you take these principles and it helps you with your relationship with your kids or someone you're mentoring, I really think they can be beneficial for you as well. So that leads us into our big idea for today. The big idea for this message today is that the church of today must prepare the way for the church of tomorrow. So if the church must prepare the way, how are we going to get it done? That's our big question. Our big question is, how can the church of today prepare the way? Now, I want to give a quick disclaimer right out front. I am not an expert. I have not been working with students long enough to become an expert. This message is simply my heart for your benefit. I hope that these principles can really be helpful for you. 
So with that being said, let's jump into our first text for the day. It's found in Acts 16. If you don't have a Bible today, we would love to give you one for free. Yeah, absolutely free, no strings attached. You go out to the guest services, ask for a Bible, they will put one in your hands and that is yours to keep. If you have your smartphone with you and you don't already have the YouVersion app downloaded, you can go to the app store, download it, click on the more tab in the bottom right hand corner, go to events and then go to Element Church. You'll find all of my notes, all my scriptures. It's a really easy way to follow along. So let's jump into our first scripture. Acts 16, one through three. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. The first way that the church of today can prepare the way for the church of tomorrow is simply endorsement. Now, I know when a lot of us think of endorsement, we think of a famous person, an actor, or an athlete that has endorsed or sponsored a product. In fact, the definition of endorsement is an act of giving one's public approval or support to someone or something. Now, everything from shoes to soda have been endorsed by famous people. In fact, in the world of professional sports, the highest paid endorsement deal is still Michael Jordan. Now, to put that in perspective, Michael Jordan has not played an NBA game in 13 years, but he still makes $60 million a year from Nike. Nike will pay that amount of money just to put Michael Jordan's name on stuff because Michael Jordan's name still carries a ton of weight. People, people notice when Michael Jordan's name is on something. And I kind of think of Paul this way. I think of Paul, the guy we're talking about today, as like an ancient Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he was a well-respected, capable leader. When his name was attached to something, it carried weight with it. In fact, Paul would go all around the Mediterranean Sea. He would preach from city to city, and he would pray with people, encourage them. And when he came to Lystra, he noticed this young man named Timothy. Timothy had a great reputation, so Paul took notice of him immediately. In fact, later on in Timothy's life, Paul wrote a letter to him called 1 Timothy. And in that letter, Paul calls Timothy his true son. In 1 Timothy 1 and 2, he says to Timothy, I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. So it wasn't like Paul was just saying, hey, kid, if you want to tag along, that'd be awesome. We'd love to have another person carry our bags on the trip. He was saying, I, I need to invest in you because you are worth investing in. Paul wanted him. He, he didn't feel obligated. He wanted him to join the journey. He didn't feel obligated. He didn't pity him. He was willing to align his life with Timothy's because the, the secret about this is that endorsement is not a class. It's not a program. It's not just a prayer you pray. It is a life that you get to live. It is a journey you get to take. And Paul wanted this so badly. He wanted to share his life. In fact, sharing your life with somebody is the best way you can endorse them. Because just by doing that, you are saying to that person, you are worth my time, you are worth my effort, you are worth my energy. And this, this topic really is special to me. It's close to my heart because, honestly, guys, in high school, I didn't have this. The church that I attended in high school 
did not endorse me. The youth group that I was a part of did not do this. We had the biggest buildings. We had the best programs. We had the most knowledgeable staff in town. So on paper, this was a winning scenario for me. Come on, Ryan, you should be happy about that. You, you should be winning in life right now. The lack of endorsement, the lack of someone saying, I endorse you, I publicly approve of you, scarred me. L really scarred me. It made me think of myself so backwards. Like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with Ryan? What don't you see in me? So I'm constantly asking the question, what's wrong with me? What do you have against me? And I got driven away from church for a long time. Youth group was not a fun memory for me. Church was not a good experience for me. And it all stemmed from that lack of approval, that lack of endorsement, that lack of someone just saying, Ryan, you're worth my time. You're worth my energy. You're worth my effort. And students today face a whole myriad of problems. They do. Struggles and difficulties that some of us, most of us, went through when we were their age. But what's, what's really funny about this is that we, we think that if they just attend, you know, attend church, that it'll all be fine. But they're constantly crying out for endorsement from us. Constantly. They may not say it with their words, but they say it with their actions all the time. Because if they don't get endorsement from a loving parent, from a mentor, a teacher, a friend that they can trust, they will find it somewhere. That confused girl that is so wrapped up in her own image will find endorsement in a guy who claims to love her, but really deep down, he just wants to use her. That confused guy will find endorsement in a group of friends who claim to be his bros, but then when times get tough, they leave him high and dry. He's old news now. The right endorsement can take people so far. And we're going to look at that a little bit later with Paul and Timothy. But the wrong endorsement, man, it can leave you waking up 10 years from now wondering how in the world did I get here? They, they need us. They need, our, they need our endorsement. They need us to look at them and say, I endorse you. Even when you do stupid off-the-wall things, which they will, I endorse you. Even when they don't meet your expectations all the time, I endorse you. Even when they don't believe in themselves, I endorse you. They, they need this so badly because they won't be prepared to face the world if they don't know that we are at their backs. That's the first thing. They need encouragement. Second thing that the church of today can do to prepare the way for the church tomorrow is encouragement. Now, I've been here a little over a year, and in that time, I have been encouraged many different ways from many different people. <laughs> Fusion students are the worst, because their encouragement is not encouragement. Here's their version of encouragement. Encouragement to them is when I get done preaching a Fusion sermon and I ask one of uh, you know, the well-respected, mature students, how did it go? Their answer is, mm, well, it didn't exactly suck. <laughs> That's a quote. Also, it's a junior high student running up to you out of the blue on a fusion night. You're trying to make connections with students. You're playing a game. You're having fun. And he says this. It's like, hey, Ryan, has anyone ever told you that you're kind of fat? 
Now, hold on, hold on. I don't want to throw any of my students under the bus. So let's make up a name. Let's call this guy Dusty. Because that's not a real name. So he knows who he is. So my response to him is, no, Dusty, no one has ever said that to me before. Thank you for the heads up. I'll work on that. And hold on, you think fusion is bad? Like that's backwards? The staff here is even more backwards. Yeah, this is my payback. So I have been, I have been encouraged in any way from saran wrapping my whole car to last week using a photo of me, my likeness, as target practice with paintball guns on stage. But the cherry on top is my first day of work here. My first day of work here, they convinced me that despite us having the biggest parking lot in town, I couldn't park here. I had to park across the street in Charter. <laughs> Welcome to Element Church. I've also noticed this, that um, my wife is getting more and more pregnant. Like, yeah, she's getting more and more pregnant. But as she's getting more and more pregnant, it's becoming harder and harder to encourage her. Like the other day, she asked me, Ryan, how do I look today? And I was like, babe, you're gorgeous. You look amazing. And she's like, ugh. <laughs> it's not true. It's like, then why did you ask me? You set me up for failure. Encouragement is so key to this whole thing. But sometimes I think we get, we get encouragement twisted a little bit. We think that encouragement is just telling students what to do or giving them really good advice. But giving even the best advice, it's not, it can't do what true encouragement can do. And I want to share a quick video clip with you to kind of uh, illustrate the distinction between that. What's the most inspiring thing I ever said to you? Don't be an idiot. Changed my life. Whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. I love The Office. It's the greatest sitcom of all time. I love that clip for more reasons, because it gives a good distinction. We think that encouragement is just really good advice. Like if we just give really good advice, that that'll count as encouragement. But encouragement is so much more than really good advice. Encouragement is giving your hope. It's giving your confidence. It's lending your support to somebody. And Paul did this a lot with Timothy all throughout their journeys together. But I want to share one instance, one time um, that Paul was giving encouragement to Timothy. It's found in 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 14 says, but you, Timothy, you are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith, holding tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Church, that is really good stuff right there. And it's so much more than good advice. 
Paul wasn't just giving him good advice. He was saying, I am sharing my hope with you, my confidence with you. I'm lending my support to you. As a youth pastor in training, I've noticed something honestly quite alarming because we often think that if we just get students to do, say, and think the right things, that after high school, they'll be fine. Once that senior graduates, they'll be good to go. But our job is not, is not to create good, tempered, well-behaved children. It's not. We're not just supposed to ask them, you know, like, oh, get, you know, get straight A's and live in a protective bubble all the time. Now, don't hear me correctly. Do I want students to get good grades? Don't hear me incorrectly. Do I want students to get good grades? Absolutely, because I want them out of high school as soon as possible. <laughs> but, but for so long, we've, we've told them the do's and don'ts. We've translated church attendance into life change. That as long as you just keep attending church, you'll, your life will change. But that's not true. Life change is when they start accepting things for themselves. When they start grabbing onto things for themselves. When Jesus wrecks them completely by themselves. And we need to, we need, don't get me wrong, we need to be there to help that process. But helping that process is not fabricating it with incentives and prizes just for being well-behaved kids. It's so much more than that. We need to inspire them, motivate them, embolden the next generation to passionately pursue God for them, not for us, for them. To become men and women who lead Jesus' church into a world that desperately needs him. I, I pray this for the next generation, that they won't become docile drones, living out a powerless routine that we call Christianity. Rather, that they would be devoted disciples, living with power, glorious purpose that can only come from God. This starts with us. Because if all they see from us is hateful, bitter, angry hypocrites, what are they probably going to become? Bitter, angry, hateful hypocrites. But on the flip side, if they see us loving the unlovable, giving hope to the hopeless, showing grace to people, they can change this whole world. Not just this church, not just the city, not just the state, this whole world. Your life should speak so loudly that a student, your own kids, somebody you don't even know, should be able to look at your life and be like, I've got to be like that person. I have to be like that person. The next generation can't constantly be afraid of the big bad world. I've heard it said so many times uh, by various different people that this is not a great time to, you know, this is not a great time. Especially for Christians, this isn't a good time. I wholeheartedly disagree. I think it is the best time to be alive. Best time. And because we think that as we've gotten more and more advanced, that our problems are somehow changing. But let's look at back when Paul and Timothy lived. Their problems were religious corruption military oppression, social injustice. Now, show of hands, does that sound like any planet you've ever lived on? Yeah, that, that, is, that is our world. We live in a world where, we live in a world where things like suicide, divorce, mass shootings have become the norm. They just happen. And... I'm so sick and tired of, telling my st uh, of just seeing students complain about 
the, the badness in this world. We need to push them to get out into that world and be the change. When one of their friends takes their own life, we need to be there to help them embrace the hurt that, that situation brings on. When, when mom and dad can't get it together, they can't figure it out, the only solution is we've got to break up. We need to be there to help them embrace the brokenness. When 49 human lives are taken in an Orlando nightclub, we need to be there to help them embrace the hopelessness. We, we need to help them embrace this world with love, power, and grace. We need to help them invade this world with God's love. So how can the church today prepare the way for the church tomorrow? Firstly, we need to endorse them. They need it. They might not say it, but they need it. We need to encourage them we need to not just be good, well-behaved church kids, but to change the world. And thirdly, empowerment. What, what, good, what good is endorsement and encouragement if we don't do anything with it? What good is it if we just tell them all these things, but don't actually eventually push them out the door to go do something? We all have those things in our lives that really like, get us pumped up about things. Gets ready to go out and like take on the world. For me, when I was a kid, this was all manner of Disney movies. I love Disney movies. <laughs> Nothing got me more excited than the movie The Jungle Book. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was Mowgli, jumping from couch to couch in my living room slash jungle, as, you know, protecting the jungle from tigers and hunters and orangutans and all that sort of stuff. And I've noticed that as I've gotten older, <laughs> It hasn't changed that much. It's just gotten a little different. Like, still, the song Eye of the Tiger gets me every time. I feel like I can fight Apollo Creed every time that I listen to Eye of the Tiger. But also, I love the movies Braveheart. I love Remember the Titans. And I love every single Rocky movie, except for five. I love all the Rocky movies except for five. But... The thing that has yet to disappoint me with getting me pumped up is this clip right here that I want to share with you. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, 
We celebrate our Independence Day. Woo! Now that's good stuff. Now, I, I won't lie, I'm not the most outwardly patriotic person. That clip from Independence Day does it for me every time. Like, when Bill Pullman gets up there to speak, I'm like, yes, sir. I will don my flight suit and go out to meet the alien invaders. As I imagine, the national anthem is playing in the background and a flight of eagles is soaring above my head. It gets me pumped up to do anything in this world. So, and so far this morning, we've talked a lot about behind-the-scenes stuff. Endorsement, encouragement, but empowerment is the last piece of the puzzle. And as Paul was coming to the end of his life, he shared one last letter with Timothy, his true son. And I want to read you the, 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 the empowerment action-oriented part of this letter. It's 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to teach them to others. Paul had invested all of his time, his energy, his effort into Timothy, and now it was time to go and do something. I want you to catch this one thing. If you don't catch anything else, the rest of this message, catch this. Empowerment is what transforms casual observers into courageous owners. I'm going to say it again because it's that good. <laughs> Empowerment transforms casual observers into courageous owners. Empowerment is what takes a fan of Jesus and makes him a follower. Here at Element, we have an amazing uh, volunteer team of 478 people. Yeah. Which, to put that in perspective, so far this year, we've been averaging uh, over 1,400 people attending here on a weekly basis. So that means that a third of those people have taken the next step to serve. The crazy stat on top of that is that 82 of those volunteers are between the ages of 12 and 18. You won't find that ratio in many places. It's awesome. God is at work in this generation. I have, I've been working in Fusion for less than a year. I have been focused on youth ministry for less than eight months. And I can honestly say it has led to some of the greatest joys of my life and also some of the deepest heartaches. I love hanging out with my high school guys' small group. I love it. We talk about all the stupid stuff they've done. We talk about all the stupid stuff we've done together. It's awesome. It fills me up. But I can also, I can also remember crying tears of pure agony at a graveside funeral, asking God, why? Why now? Why that person? Why? I have learned things this last year that only experience could teach me. And we each, each and every one of us has a role to play. This journey for them is not to be made alone. We each have a role to play. We can either endorse them and say, I endorse you. you. You are someone worth spending my time with. We can encourage them, be their number one cheerleader and empower them that even if they fall on their face, we're gonna pick them up and we're gonna make them keep going. Or you can say, ah, to heck with all of it. It doesn't matter. You can choose one of these two things. You can say, I resist 
or you can push all your chips to the center of the table and go all in. My answer to this question is simple. And maybe, maybe my answer can help you. So I want to share that. When I look at them, I don't see bums. I don't see a waste of time. I see the future. I see potential. I see future fathers. I see future wives. I see future husbands. I see future mothers. I see mentors. I see future friends. I see a generation that could shake this earth to its core if we only did these things. I see a generation that could change this world if we let them. I see the future. And I have to ask you, when you look at them, what do you see? Thank you so much for letting me share my heart with you. And I love and appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for what you guys have done for my life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. We pray that you would just transform and change this next generation to do your work, to be the leaders of your church and help us to help them with that process, God. We love you. We love you so much. And we pray only the best for those coming after us. Amen.